We just sang, there is no one like you. We're going to see that very clearly this morning in our passage as we continue our study today in Daniel chapter 2. There truly is no God like Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of Scripture, the God who we have seen on display so clearly so far in the last few weeks as we've been journeying together through this book of book of Daniel. Daniel again for the context for the background is is the story of these Hebrew Israelites who had been taken away into captivity into the empire the nation of Babylon a, a strange and foreign land so so foreign from everything that they knew back home in in Israel in Judah. Uh, a land with different customs, different religions, different practices, and, and all that were so opposed to the ways of God as he had revealed for his people in his word. And so Daniel and his friends had to, had to learn how do we live in this foreign, pagan, hostile culture. You know, it's interesting when you think about Babylon, it's truly a metaphor for uh, where we find ourselves today as a culture. Uh, this, this foreign land, it's a place that we don't recognize. It's a place with different values and different gods and different worldviews and priorities. And, and, and we, we are living today in this type of culture, a, a culture that is so different from even what many of us knew not too many years ago. Uh, in terms of a culture that it's tur- turned its back on the will and ways of God. I was thinking about this uh, this week. You know, there's two ways that a people can end up in Babylon. You can be carried off into Babylon, as was the case for the Israelites in 605 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians conquered Judah and then literally carried off God's people into captivity in Babylon. You can be carried off into Babylon or you can compromise your way into Babylon and be conformed into the image of Babylon. You don't necessarily have to be taken and conquered. You can be conformed into the likeness of Babylon by simply choosing to go the way of the gods of this world instead of following the ways of the God of Israel. And sadly, I think that's what we see taking place even in our own culture today. We haven't been conquered by any outside forces, but, but as Paul talks about in Romans 1, 18 through 32, when, when a people exchange the truth of God for lies and choose to go their way versus God's way, Paul says three times in that passage, God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. And what happens is, is ultimately when a people continue to reject God and turn their back on him, they become increasingly conformed into the image and mold of the sinful world around us. And, and, and they end up looking a lot like Babylon, even though they might not physically be there. And we see that taking place here in our culture. We, we saw another step in that direction even this weekend here in our own state of Minnesota as our state legislator, late legislature voted to pass the most radical pro-abortion bill anywhere in the world. I mean, just think about that. More radical than the laws in China and North Korea, Minnesota now has the most radical pro-abortion agenda anywhere in the world. And friends, this is how you end up in Babylon. It starts by culture turning its back on God's truth and stepping one way more and more consistently in the direction of, of a worldview that goes against God's revealed truth for our lives. 
And, and so you can be captured into Babylon or you can compromise your way into Babylon. But, but the question we're addressing in this series is, okay, it's one thing to understand where we are and how we got there. Now the question is, well, how do we live in the midst of Babylon? Right? And so in the last few weeks, we've been looking at lessons for exiles, helping us understand our calling and how we can live faithfully in Babylon. Uh, three weeks ago, we, we looked at the reality of the, the indoctrination program of Babylon, trying to understand how the world tries to lead us away from a biblical worldview into the worldview of Babylon. We, we see that all around us today in our present society. We also saw, though, that in the midst of that indoctrination program, Daniel and his friends resolved themselves to stay faithful, that we are not going to compromise on the truth. And they resolved that they would be faithful to Yahweh. And we saw that God blessed them for that. Last week, then, if you recall, we looked at the reality of living wisely in Babylon. We, we looked at the example of King Nebuchadnezzar, who had this incredible dream. We're going to look at this dream more today and the interpretation of this dream. But, but King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, and he had two choices in, in this dream. He could choose to go to the wisdom of Babylon to seek answers, or he could go to God to seek answers. And we saw how Nebuchadnezzar chose foolishly. He looked to the wisdom of the world, the, the supposed wise men of Babylon, who couldn't answer his dream, who couldn't give him an interpretation. And then we saw how Daniel came forward and said, King, let me seek the God of heaven, the true God, for an answer to your dream and an interpretation. So we have the wisdom of the world. We have the wisdom of God. We need to choose wisely, friends, and go with God's wisdom over worldly wisdom. Now this week, we're going to take the next step in this journey of how we live faithfully in Babylon, and, and, and that's specifically the question. How do we respond to the cultural chaos and the crises that we find ourselves in? How do we live faithfully in the midst of this reality? Remember, Daniel and his friends, where we left them last week, they were literally facing death and execution. Nebuchadnezzar had gotten so annoyed with the wise men of Babylon and their inability to give him an interpretation that he ordered that all the wise men in Babylon be put to death. And that's where we left Daniel and his friends. They're, they're on the verge of being executed. But if you recall, Daniel said to the king, allow me to seek the God of heaven and seek an interpretation for you. And that's where we pick up this, this morning. Daniel, in the midst of this crisis, we're going to see how Daniel responded to this crisis. And there's some important lessons for us in terms of our own lives as we live in the midst of Babylon. Let's take a look at our passage this morning, starting in verse 17 of chapter 2. So Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we asked of you. 
for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And he said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to the king what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. And yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay, partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever." Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. 
Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering of incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him a ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Man, is that an awesome story or what? It's a tremendous story. Now, some of you are scratching your head thinking, what's all this statue imagery stuff all about? We're going we're gonna to talk about that. We're going to bring clarity to that. But man, this is one of the greatest passages in the whole Bible. Not only for the, the practical lessons that it gives us in terms of how we respond to the crisis of our culture living in Babylon today, but also the, the prophetic message that it gives us here in Daniel's interpretation of the king's dream. Let's take a look at this passage this morning, and I want to highlight three things in this passage that help us to discern how we can live faithfully in the midst of Babylon. Number one, we see here that Daniel responds to crisis with prayer. He responds to crisis with prayer. You know, what, what, a, what a powerful model we see here in Daniel. The, the wise men of Babylon have been threatened. The king's about to execute all of them. And then here's Daniel. He's this young man. He's probably no more than 20 years old at this point. And he's facing literally the most serious crisis anyone can face, his imminent execution. And what's Daniel's response? Friends, he doesn't instigate a rebellion. He doesn't lead an insurrection. He doesn't even try to run away. No, Daniel's first instinct when facing an existential crisis is to go to the Lord in prayer. What a great model we see here at the outset of our passage this morning. Look at Daniel's faithful response to this crisis. The first thing Daniel does is he gathers his brothers. He he goes back home and he gathers Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, his, his three Hebrew companions who were carried off from Judah with him, and he gets his brothers together and he says, guys, we need to pray and we need to seek the mercy of the God of heaven so that he might give us an interpretation to this dream. Friends, in the, in the face of crisis, it's so important that we gather together with our brothers, with our sisters, with those in the family of faith and pray. It should be our first response to crisis, gathering together in prayer. In the New Testament, Jesus says in Matthew 18, verse 20, he says, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. So Daniel gathered his friends. We need to gather together in prayer. The second thing that we see Daniel and his friends doing is is they not only gathered, but then they sought the Lord together in prayer. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Daniel gathered his friends. They sought the Lord in prayer. They brought their requests before God. What a model, friends. This is how God's people should respond to crisis. 
I, I've been so proud of our own church in recent years as, as we as a church have had to respond to many of the cultural challenges of our day and age. And what has been our response? Friends, if you recall back in May of 2020 after George Floyd was killed and the Twin Cities broke out into riots, what was our response as a church? We gathered together and we prayed. We called a prayer meeting. In January 6 of 2021 when the Capitol riot was going on, I mean, uh, this unprecedented event in the history of our nation. And I remember watching on the news that day and, and all I could think of is, Lord, I don't know what to do other than to call the church together and pray. And we sent out a church-wide email, and we said, hey, come to church tonight. We're canceling Wednesday night programming. We're going to meet in the youth center. We're going to pray. And we prayed. You might recall over the, over the COVID years of 2020, 2021, those difficult years where people were struggling with health and with the economy and with the mandates and lockdowns, right? And, and you may recall in the winter of 2021, a year and a half into all of this, what was our response as a church? We prayed. We called, we called a freedom prayer gathering. And if you recall that, that freedom prayer gathering, it was the largest prayer gathering we've ever had in the history of our church. And we prayed freedom. Freedom was an acronym. We prayed for our faith to increase in the midst of this trying season. We prayed for revival to break out. We prayed for our economy and all of our businesses and small businesses that were struggling. We prayed for, for an end to the COVID restrictions and all the mandates. We prayed D for the demise of COVID. We, we prayed O for our neighbors. We prayed Mar M, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We prayed these things. And God answered those prayers, friends. We saw God do those things. And, and then we saw just even again three weeks ago, our New Year's prayer gathering. A great time of prayer as we gathered together, many from our church to pray for God's blessing here in 2023. Friends, that's what God's people do in the face of crisis. They pray, they go before the Lord. Now, now prayer isn't all we do in response to the cultural challenges of our day. No, there are other things we do. In fact, we have many people in our church who are involved in a whole host of civic organizations. We have a people in our church who have run for public office. We have people in our church who are serving or have served on school boards locally. We have people in our church that recently were at the March for Life in Washington and down at the state capitol in St. Paul. We have people in our church, like one of our elders, Paul Post, who's been testifying down at the state legislature as a medical doctor about the reality of life beginning at conception, testifying against this radical abortion legislation. Friends, we don't just pray, but understand, before we do any of these other things, first and foremost, we need to be a people of prayer. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray without ceasing. Prayer should be at the heart of our lifestyle. Now, now thirdly, look what Daniel does after gathering his brothers, after coming before the Lord in prayer. What does Daniel do? He rested in God's sovereignty. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, trust in him, and he will make straight your paths. Friends, Daniel knew that proverb. Daniel trusted and believed in that proverb. And Daniel also understood that when God says, when we trust in him and he's going to make our path straight, Daniel recognized that that straight path won't 
necessarily always be an easy path. And that God won't sometimes make that straight path right through the heart of the valley of the shadow of death. But Daniel also understood that the Lord is my shepherd. And that the good shepherd goes with us even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. And so Daniel literally rested his life upon that promise. How do I know? Well, friends, where was Daniel when God received his revelation? What does verse 19 tell us? Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Where was Daniel when he received the interpretation to this dream? Daniel was sleeping. He was in bed. He received this revelation in a vision of the night. Friends, understand what Daniel does here. He gathers his brothers, he prays, and then he laid his head down to rest. And he trusted in the sovereign plan of a good and faithful God. Friends, Daniel had no idea how the crisis he was in was going to turn out. But he knew the God who did. And so he trusted in him. He rested in him. Man, is that a great model for us here this morning? We seek the Lord in prayer, and then we lay our head downs at night, and we rest in peace, trusting in the sovereignty of God. Friends, do you ever get anxious about the circumstances of your life? Do you ever find yourself burdened with worry? Do you struggle getting a good night's sleep, laying there wrestling with the what-ifs? I know what that's like. But Daniel's model here tells us, take it to the Lord in prayer and then lay your head down and rest and trust that there is a sovereign God in heaven who is in control of all these things. What a great encouragement for us. So Daniel, first and foremost here, he responds to crisis with prayer. The, the second thing we see here in Daniel's example in our passage this morning is he responds to revelation with praise. He responds to revelation with praise. Verse 19 tells us that God revealed the mystery of Nebuchadnezzar's dream to Daniel. And friends, what was Daniel's first response? He blessed the God of heaven. That's what it says there in verse 20. He blessed the God of heaven. What does that mean? It means Daniel worshiped. He worshiped God. Friends, God's revelation should always, first and foremost, inspire us to worship. To recognize that there is a God in heaven, that he has spoken, making himself known to us, revealing his will for us. Friends, how could that not motivate us to be a people of praise? In fact, if you think about it this morning, that, that's our very basis for being here this morning, isn't it? We're here today because God has spoken. God has revealed truth. He's revealed himself to us. And in his revelation, we are inspired to praise. It's why we gather for worship. It's the first thing we do on the first day of the week. It's our priority. Why? Because God has revealed truth to us. And in God's revelation to us, we can't help but respond with praise. Now here in verses 19 through 23, in Daniel's song of praise, we discover more about the awesome God we worship. 
And, and what we find here in Daniel's song of praise, friends, should truly inspire us as well to even greater heights of worship. I love what Daniel highlights here in this song of praise. He, he highlights these two themes, two main themes here, God's might and God's wisdom. And remember, this song of praise was all based on the, the, the revelation Daniel had been given, the interpretation of this dream. We're going to look at that in a few moments. It's truly incredible, and it clearly shows God's might and God's wisdom. And, and when you understand this dream, again, you can't help but want to praise God when you understand more clearly who he is. And Daniel highlights that here in his song of praise. He first highlights for us the reality of God's might, his awesome power. Verse 21, Daniel tells us that God changes times and seasons. He removes kings, <clears throat> excuse me, he removes kings and he sets up kings. Now again, why could Daniel say that so confidently? It's because God is going to give him, has just given him, and we're going to see this prophetic vision of how God is sovereign over all the powers, over all the ages, over all the history of the world. He removes kings and he sets up kings. Friends, we need to remember that, that our God is sovereign. He is sovereign over presidents and premiers and prime ministers. He rules over all of them. And I know, I know it is easy for us to get discouraged when we see the wickedness and the corruption and the injustice evident in so many of our leaders today. But friends, don't forget that there is a Lord in heaven who is sovereign over all of them. And so Daniel praises God for his might, for his power. Daniel reminds us that God is in control. The, the next thing Daniel praises God here for is for his wisdom. Verses 21 and 22. Daniel says, God gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Now, friends, think about this, what Daniel's just shared with us here. This is, so, this is so awesome because understand, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Nebuchadnezzar's dream was hidden from all the wise men of Babylon. I mean, they openly acknowledged, we saw last week, no one on earth can give the king what he's asking. His dream may have been hidden from the wise men of Babylon, friends, but understand this morning, it wasn't hidden from God. And Daniel praises God because he reveals deep and hidden things. Friends, understand there is nothing hidden from God in his omniscience, his all-knowing wisdom. Nothing is hidden. None of your dreams, none of your thoughts. God knows it all. And when we recognize that reality, that God is omniscient, that he's all-knowing, friends, this should inspire us to two things, to humility and to gratitude. Why humility? Friends, it should inspire us to humility because think about this. If God knows all of our thoughts, that means he knows even those dark and sinful thoughts that we'd never want to come to light. He knows all of them. And this is why we should strive, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, to take every thought captive, making them obedient to Christ. 
But God's omniscience, friends, it should also inspire us to gratitude. Why gratitude? Well, think about this. God, even in knowing the most depraved of our thoughts, God still loves us. The Apostle Paul in Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love to us in this, and that while we were still sinners, in all of our depravity, in all of our perverse thinking, in all of our wicked thoughts, God still loved us. And he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us, to reconcile us back to him. Friends, if this reality doesn't inspire you to echo the praise of Daniel, I don't know what will. And maybe for someone here this morning, responding in praise to this awesome reality might mean putting your trust in Jesus for the very first time. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never really given thought to the reality that God knows all of your thoughts. He knows all of your dreams. He knows every hidden secret thing. And one day you're going to stand before that holy, righteous God on Judgment Day. But God in his great love has made a way for you to be forgiven, for you to be brought back into a right relationship with him, for all of those dark and hidden things to be covered by the blood of Jesus, washed white as snow. Friends, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, don't miss out on that opportunity. And join us like Daniel in singing the praise of this awesome God we have. Here in verses 19 through 23, Daniel shows us how to respond to God's revelation. You respond to God's revelation with praise. Before he does anything else, even before he goes to the king, he worships God for his wisdom and for his might. Again, friends, isn't this such a great model for us? Living in our own sort of Babylon today. How do we respond in Babylon, friends? We, we pray and we worship. And then thirdly, we see in Daniel's example, we testify to the supremacy of God. What does it mean to live faithfully in Babylon? Daniel shows us this morning, we respond to power with proclamation. See, Daniel didn't know the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he did know the gospel of Yahweh. And what is the gospel of Yahweh, the good news of Yahweh? It's found in verse 28 of our passage. Daniel says to King Nebuchadnezzar, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Daniel declared to the king that there is a God higher than any gods here in Babylon. And there is a power sovereign over even you, O king. Friends, Daniel may have been in Babylon and he may have been a servant of King Nebuchadnezzar, but he was really an ambassador for the God of Israel. And so Daniel boldly proclaimed the truth, the message that there was a power superior to any kings here on earth, that there was a, a king, a true king of kings in heaven who rules over all the affairs of men, a God before whom even emperors must bow. Daniel proclaimed this reality to the king. And then Daniel gives King Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of his dream to highlight this reality, God's power, God's wisdom, God's might. King, trust me, there is a God sovereign over it all. What was the interpretation that God had given Daniel? 
what we see here in the, in the second half of our passage this morning. And, and let me say, you guys are thinking, man, we only have a few minutes left. How are you going to cover all this, Jason? Friends, we're going to come back to this prophecy numerous times as we go forward in the book of Daniel because God brings this prophecy back to Daniel again in chapter 7, in chapter 8, chapter 10, chapter 12. The truths of this prophecy continue to be unfolded for Daniel to see. So we're just going to scratch the surface this morning. But, but what was the prophecy that Nebuchadnezzar was given, this vision that he was given? Well, friends, the statue image that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream, the statue illustrated God's sovereignty over history and the powers of this world. And, and, and what did all of this represent? What did this imagery represent? This head of gold, right? The, the, the head of gold and then the, the other kingdom inferior after to you, the, the, the chest and arms of silver, the middle and thighs of bronze, the legs of iron, the feet of iron and clay. What did all this represent? Well, again, this great God in heaven revealed the mystery to Daniel so that he could proclaim to the powers of this world that there is a power even greater than him a power sovereign over him. Now, how do we interpret this vision, right? How do we understand this vision today? Friends, you interpret Scripture by Scripture. That's one of the most important principles of biblical interpretation. You always interpret Scripture in light of Scripture. And so, when we look at this head of gold on the statue, what did the head of gold represent? Well, that's an easy one because Daniel tells us right here in verse 38, King Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. The head of gold represented Babylon, the empire of the day. But then Daniel goes on and he, he tells him, and then you saw a chest and arms of silver. And the chest and arms of silver represented the next great world empire, the Medo-Persian empire. How do we know that? Well, again, we use scripture to interpret scripture. And in Daniel chapter 8, verse 20, he tells us who this next empire is. He literally tells us it's the Medo-Persian empire. Now, again, this hadn't come to pass yet. This was prophetic events that were going to take place in the future. Prophecy is history written in advance. And so Daniel tells King Nebuchadnezzar, there's going to be an empire after you, an inferior empire, and the Medo Persian Empire would conquer Babylon, but it never had the political strength of Babylon. That's why it was inferior. And then Daniel talks about this third empire, the middle and thighs of bronze. And he says, there shall be a third kingdom, verse 39, of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. Now, this is awesome. How do we know what kingdom this was? We know because in Daniel 8, 21, he tells us this is the Greek empire. This is Alexander the Great, who in only 11 years conquered the whole known world. We're going to talk more about that in coming weeks. And then there shall be a fourth kingdom, Daniel says, strong as iron because iron breaks and shatters all things. Now, Daniel doesn't name for us what this fourth kingdom was. But he tells us this fourth kingdom would conquer this kingdom that had taken over the whole world, the Greek kingdom, right? The Greek empire. There was only one empire in history that did that, friends, and that was the Roman Empire. So again, using logic, we can deduce Babylon, Metal persia is named in Scripture, Greece is named in Scripture, an empire conquers Greece, not named, but there's only one in history that did that, the Roman Empire. And then out of the Roman Empire comes these feet and toes of iron and clay, partly iron, partly clay, mixed together. Now, what does this refer to? Friends, I believe this is a reference to the end times one world government. 
which will be a confederacy of 10 world powers. Friends, how do you know when Jesus is coming back? When you see our world governments coalesce together into a confederacy of 10 world powers, some stronger, some weaker, right? Toes of iron and clay mixed together. When you see those 10 world powers gathering together, get ready because Jesus is coming soon. All right? Now, I don't believe I'm going to be here for that. I believe that as part of the church, I'm going to be raptured out of this world before any of that happens. But if you're still here and you see these 10 world powers coming together, trust me, you got about seven years before Jesus comes back and brings final judgment upon this world. If you want to know more about that, we talked all about that for multiple weeks this past spring. We did a whole series on the end times where we laid all that out for you. But it's going to happen. It's prophecy. It's history written in advance. How do I know? How am I so confident that this is going to happen? Well, I'm confident because God's word tells us, and Daniel was absolutely correct in these first four world powers. Everything he said came true. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. Friends, if all these other powers came to pass, we can trust that this last one's going to come to pass too. This one world government, a confederacy of 10 world powers. Revelation 17, Daniel 7 tells us that out of these 10 powers is going to arise one particular individual, the Antichrist, who is going to rule the whole world and demand that all people worship him. That's all in the Bible, friends. People think, people think Bible prophecy is so hard. It's not all that hard. You, you just interpret the Bible by the Bible. And the Bible tells us what's going to happen. Right? Just, just read Revelation 17, 12 through 14. It's right there. There's going to be 10 world powers. Out of these 10 world powers is going to arise the Antichrist. He's going to force all the earth to bow down and worship him. And then Jesus is going to come. And he's going to judge those 10 world powers and the Antichrist. And that's what the stone is all about in Daniel's prophecy. Look at what Daniel says about the stone. The stone is Jesus Christ. Psalm 2 a messianic prophecy, speaking about the coming Messiah. God says to the Messiah, I'm going to give you the nations and you will dash them to pieces. What does Daniel's prophecy tell us? There was a stone cut out by no human hand. In other words, it wasn't of human origin. It was divine. And what did this stone do? This stone smashed the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Friends, this is talking about Jesus, the Messiah. And when is all this going to take place? When is the stone going to strike this image and become this great mountain that fills the whole earth? Friends, this is going to happen in the end times. How do I know that? Well, Daniel tells us here in verse 28, he tells the king, I'm going to tell you what will be in the latter days. That term, that phrase in the Hebrew literally means in the end of days. This is going to happen at the end of time. The Messiah is going to come. He's going to strike these world empires. He's going to destroy them and shatter them to pieces. And then, as we saw this past spring, and as Revelations 19 and 20 tells us, after his second coming in judgment, he is going to establish his thousand-year reign on the earth, where Jesus is going to rule and reign and bring peace and righteousness and prosperity to this world. That's all in the Bible, friends. Daniel prophesied it 600 years before the coming of Jesus, the first time. We're 2,000 years later. We're waiting for his second coming. But it's going to happen. It's been prophesied to us in Scripture. 
Now, there's another sense in which we recognize that Jesus is already ruling and he is already king. Yes, there will be a literal physical kingdom where Jesus rules on the earth, but he's still king today. The Bible tells us that. He's still in charge. He's still sovereign. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 tells us that Jesus has been crowned with glory and honor because of his death and resurrection. And yet, in that same verse, it tells us, but at present time, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. He is the ruler. He is the king. But not yet is everything under his subjection. But one day it will be. One day he will rule and reign over this whole world. And, you know, when you recognize this, it's not hard to understand why King Nebuchadnezzar's response in verse 47 was truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings. Even Nebuchadnezzar recognized in Daniel providing this interpretation that there is a God in heaven sovereign over it all. Isn't that awesome, friends? Now, again, we're going to talk more about all these prophecies in the future. But don't forget who our God is. You know, living in Babylon isn't easy. It's a, it's a place of challenges and hardships and trials, hostilities even against us. But God's sovereign over all of it. And so as we've seen in Daniel's example these past three weeks, friends, I want to encourage you, be resolved. Hold fast to the knowledge of God. Live faithfully for him and know with certainty that Jesus reigns and his kingdom shall stand forever. We're going to sing here in a moment about our great God as we close our service. Let's stand together, have a word of prayer. John and our worship team are going to come forward and lead us in one last song. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this great passage of scripture this morning. This passage that reminds us so clearly who you are, the God of wisdom and might, the God who oversees rulers and holds all of history in his hand. God, we worship you because you truly are God of God and Lord of kings. Lord, may we honor you. May we put our hope and trust in you. May we live faithfully for you. And may we also proclaim to the powers of this world that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.